Hello, and welcome back to Ben and Clayton Eat the Bible. This is our 47th episode, and this is our podcast that goes along with our chronological reading plan, where we discuss the next week's readings and some of the most interesting bits. We are going to be going through 1 Corinthians and the first bit of Romans today. I'm not actually sure how far we're going to get into Romans. We'll get as far as we can in a timely manner. I want to make sure not to overdo it. But I do want to say, as always, we would love to get questions. I did receive um, a question about Pastor Ben's latest episode, and so that's that's encouraging. One of the things we want to do, though, is encourage you to send them to us in the email. And so you can email me at pastorclaytont at gmail.com, and you can send me those questions. Or um, if, you're, if you'd rather, you can use my other email address, which is just my name with a period in between at gmail.com. So it's clayton.tinnervin at gmail.com. Either way, we would love to hear questions from you and would love to speak to them. But I'm not going to answer the question we got from Pastor Ben's because I'd really like to let him be able to speak to that. So I'll bring that up to him in the next episode. So like I said, we're going to be going through 1 Corinthians today and then the first bit of Romans. And we're going to be doing Corinthians pretty quickly. It's it's a long letter, but we're going to do it quickly for a couple of reasons. Uh, but the big one is Romans is a big deal. And I just really want to make sure that we have plenty of time to talk about Romans. But we're going to start with 1 Corinthians. So in Acts chapter 18, we read about the Apostle Paul coming to Corinth and beginning a church there. Now, this would have been around 50 AD or so, still less than 20 years after the resurrection. And Paul stayed with them a while. He stayed with them about 18 months. Now, Corinth was an ancient port city. It was a religious and an economic center. And so Paul came here strategically as a missionary. This was an important place, and Paul wanted to start a thriving church here. Like I said, he spent about a year and a half here, and he formed just a, a strong and thriving church. And so after a while, Paul left, and he went on to start churches in other cities. And when he'd been gone for a few years, he started to hear about some problems happening in Corinth. And that's why he wrote this letter. The problems that he'd heard about popping up in the church, this church that he cared about deeply, were what motivated him to write this letter. Now, one of the reasons why we don't need to spend quite as much time in 1 Corinthians is that it's one of Paul's most direct and clear letters. It might be Paul's most direct and clear letter, other than um, some of the, the much shorter ones like Philemon. Now, there are a few context pieces that are really important, but, but Paul is mostly writing about issues that we can understand because they're similar to issues that the church is dealing with still today. So Paul's heard about divisions in the church. He's heard about problems relating to sexual immorality. He's heard about disagreements that are being had over food, over how to do church service. And he's, he's heard about problems wildly about the importance of the resurrection and disagreement about it. And so he takes each of these in turn and he spends a few chapters talking about them. And then he uses the gospel to show why the church shouldn't do the thing that's causing the problems. And like I said, we're going to move through these pretty quickly, but I want to talk about each one of them. The first thing he tackles are divisions in the church. 
Now, there have been several prominent teachers that came to Corinth, and there were groups that sort of attached to each of them. And Paul says, listen, well, because these people, they didn't just attach to leaders. They were, they were claiming to be a follower of that person, right? Like this popularity contest between, between different important leaders. And Paul says, listen, you belong to Jesus. Stop trying to find your identity in anyone that isn't him. You're not a Paul follower. You're not an Apollos follower. You're not a Peter follower. You're a Jesus follower. All of us find our identity in him. One of the things that I I think would be most confusing and deeply concerning for Paul is the lack of unity among the body of Christ today. Not only do we have the Catholic and the Orthodox churches, which are relatively unified, but we have all of these Protestant denominations. And estimates split as to how many there are in the world, but but some estimates are as high as like 50,000 different Protestant denominations in the world. And some of them split and very angry about just trivial matters. But we can see this popularity contest in Corinth already causing division. And my goodness, is that not something we can relate to here today? And Paul says, stop that. Your, your identity is in Jesus. Follow him and stay together. Then in chapters 5 to 7, Paul tackles some some things that have come up relating to sexual immorality in the church. There's some guy who's sleeping with his stepmom. There's people who are going to temples and sleeping with temple prostitutes while they're there. And Paul, he talks about the importance of, of what we do with our bodies because we belong to Jesus and our bodies belong to Jesus. They're temples of the Holy Spirit and God has a plan for them. And so he answers this sexual immorality piece with a reminder that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. And what we do to our bodies, we are doing to a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's a call for us to... Um, to be moral with how we use them, to, to use them, to be pure in our use of our bodies. Then in, in chapters 8 to 10, uh, Paul talks about some issues relating to food. There's this dispute between Jewish and Gentile Christians over how to deal with meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And so one of the, one of the things that's so interesting, a theme that just runs right through Paul's letters that we miss so often, and Ben mentioned this last week, is this conflict that developed over Christians who were Jewish, right? They were Jewish people who kept the Torah, who were circumcised, and they became Christians, and Gentile Christians. And a lot of the times, the Jewish Christians felt like you needed to become Jewish. You needed to keep the Torah. You needed to get circumcised before you could really be a Christian. And sometimes the Christians started to feel like, no, actually, all those things are a detriment. Those are, those are the opposite of helpful. You, you should let go of all of that in order to become a Christian. And so this conflict over and over again we see in Paul's letters between Jewish and Gentile Christians pops up. And so here they're, they're arguing over what to do with meat sacrificed to idols. And... Jewish and Gentile Christians just seem to really struggle with figuring out how to be brothers and sisters in Christ over what may to us seem like trivial matters. But Paul talks here, he talks about our responsibility to each other. 
about how you can eat the food because you belong to Jesus and, and God created that animal, right? And so you're, you're not doing anything inherently wrong by eating the food. But, he says, if you eating the food is going to harm the faith of someone else, then it's out of the question. You absolutely should not do it. Because more than exercising our freedom, it's more important to, than exercising freedom to show love, to be people who care for one another and prefer one another. And there's no right or freedom that you have that's more important than loving your neighbor, loving your brother or sister. And if there's not a more relevant message for the American church today than that, I mean, I think, I think specifically about the issue of drinking in our culture. One of the things that can be very hard is people will argue about whether or not it's okay or not to drink. And it seems pretty clear cut that the Bible does not ever say no drinking. In fact, Jesus changes the water into wine, not into Dr. Pepper. And you can argue about how much weaker it was, but they, they, they drank for a week at these at, at weddings, you know, like the story in John 2. There's no question that, that drinking alcohol was a part of Jewish culture, and Jesus never criticizes that. However, we're told over and over again not to become drunkards, not to become drunk. And so we have this, this thing where it's not wrong to drink as long as one doesn't lose control, but what if that's going to hurt the faith of someone else? What if one of your brothers or sisters in church is a struggling alcoholic, and they see you buying alcohol, and they think, okay, maybe this is fine. Or maybe your, your willingness to, to drink um, can have a, a bad effect on someone who's less self-controlled when they drink with you. And so we need to be very careful and be willing to give things up if we are called to for the sake of loving our brother and sister. Then in chapters 11 to 14, Paul goes on and he, he talks about church, how they're doing church and problems that they're having that are causing disorder. And he says that the problem or that the answer to these problems again is love. And that if we can love each other the way that God loves us, then these problems are going to disappear. And then Paul, he talks about the resurrection. Apparently, some people in the church felt like the resurrection either didn't happen or that it wasn't that big of a deal. And Paul says, what? Wait a minute. He tells us the story about Jesus's death and resurrection, and then he goes on to tell us about how the resurrection was Jesus's defeat over death and the forces of evil, and how it gives us life and hope. And it's, it's the motivation. The resurrection is the motivation for our entire Christian life. You don't have a Christian faith without the resurrection. There's still people today um, that, that think that the resurrection is secondary in importance, that being a Christian is more about following a moral example. And that's just nonsense. I, I like to be a big tent kind of guy. Uh, I like to, to allow differences anytime that they're not on matters that are essential. This is essential. You do not have a Christian if you have someone who does not believe in the resurrection. Or let me put it this way. If there was no resurrection, then none of us are Christians because we're following someone who is dead, not someone who is alive. And that's a really big deal. 
And so the gospel, it's not just about living well, Paul is saying. It's not just about being moral. It's about being part of a new creation and living our lives as part of that new creation. Now, here we go. We're going to move on to the book of Romans. Uh, this is a big deal. I'm, I'm realizing, I forgot to mention at the beginning, so I'll mention it here in the middle. You've probably noticed by now that Pastor Ben is not here. Last week, Ben recorded an episode without me, and this week, originally, Ben was going to take vacation, and so I kind of, I did a lot of uh, research and prep work, and I just said, Ben, you can take a break from the podcast. I'll do it this week. So he did one, and I'm doing one, but we are going to actually have two episodes this week. So we're going to, we're a week behind because we had some issues with posting one of them, but we're going to catch up. So you'll have this episode in your inbox, and then you'll get another one later in the week. But here we go. The book of Romans. Oof, this is a big one. I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this. I don't know how far I'm going to get in this because I, I really just don't want to overdo it. There's so much here. And me just talking you through things is only going to be helpful up to a certain point because it can just really become overwhelming. So we'll get through uh, either the first two or three sections of Romans today, and then the rest we'll leave for when Ben and I are together. Because so I think the, the back and forth will help um, a little bit of it. So Romans. Romans is often called Paul's magnum opus. And as such, it's, it's worth us sitting with for a little while. Like I said, we're going to overview either the first four or the first eight chapters today. I haven't really decided yet. We'll, we'll see how we're doing. Um, and how much time is gone as we get into it. And then we're going to finish the letter next week. I want to start by giving you some background. Especially when you're reading the letters, the background is important. Because you're reading someone else's mail. All of these letters were written for a purpose in response to specific situations. And if you don't learn what you can about those situations, you can just miss wildly what Paul is talking about. Think about a letter you might write to your spouse back and forth. You're referring to things that you've said to each other. You have shorthand, you have jokes, you have things that you guys understand. You're referring to world events. And all of a sudden, 2,000 years later, somebody reads it. And what would they understand from your letter, right? In this case, we just, we have to pay attention to what was happening in the world because I think we misread Romans a lot because we miss the context. So um, what we're going to do is, is, oh, and let me say this. This is a phrase that really helps with this. The Bible was written for us. I, I don't want to suggest that it wasn't. We're, I say we're reading someone else's mail. That doesn't mean it's not for us. What it means is it wasn't to us. It is for us. But we need to pay attention to what was happening in the world so we can make the best sense of it we can. So um, we're going to talk about uh, a few different terms and a few different common issues that get misunderstood as we go through Romans. We're going to, as we go, we're going to talk about what Paul means when he talks about the Jews. We're going to talk about what he means when he talks about works and sin and all of this. So in order to really be able to understand it, we need to know what was going on um, in the world at that time. So in the late 40s, the emperor of Rome expelled all the Jews from the city. There was some kind of unrest, 
between the Jews who had and the Jews who had not become Christians. So, you, I mean, Jews who followed Judaism and Jews who followed Christ. There was tension between them. And then there was also tension between the Christians, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And these tensions just bubbled up and over. And so with the, with the Christians, both, both groups had stereotypes against the other. Both kind of felt like they were the better version of being a Christian. And so the emperor, he looked at all this. He looked at the, all the tension and social unrest that was happening. And he saw that there was a common denominator in both situations. And it was Jews. And so he expelled them all from Rome. So the Jews are expelled in the 40s. And what happens is the Gentile Christians, they sort of fill in the gaps. Uh, sometimes they moved into Jewish Christians' homes because they thought they were never coming back. Um, but if you were a Jewish Christian and you were a pastor or an elder or a leader at your church, all of a sudden you were gone. And so a Gentile Christian stepped into that role and filled it. And so Rome was completely without Jews for a little more than five years. And then that emperor died. And another emperor comes to power in 54 AD. And the standard practice back then was just to undo everything that the previous emperor had done. So you think about today how presidents give executive orders, right? And they can give hundreds of them in a term. And if you could imagine the first order of business of the next president being to just say that all the executive orders of the previous one are undone, that could create some chaos. But that is what happened. And so the new emperor undoes all the former's edicts and the Jewish Christians, well, they come back home and they're expecting to move back into their homes and back into their leadership roles in churches. I think about if I had left, like if I'd been kicked out for five years and not able to communicate with the church here in Washington and the way that I'd long to come back. But when I come back, Pastor Ben has been senior pastor for five years. It would be very strange It'd be a weird situation. I mean, he's now the senior pastor, right? And it would be a, a tough situation to figure out what exactly is this going to look like going forward. Well, hopefully we'd be able to resolve it better than they would. They were because there was a lot of problems with, are there going to be just separate Gentile and Jewish churches now? Are they going to, to worship together in churches? And if so, what's that going to look like? And it was for this reason um, that... The Apostle Paul, he, I mean, the tensions were bad enough. He thought, I need to, I need to write about this. I need to, I need to speak into this. And you can see this all the way through the letter. This messy and dysfunctional relationship between Jewish and Gentile Christians. And it's important that you see this. It's important that you keep this in mind. Otherwise, when you read Romans, you're going to be tempted to think that Paul is talking about the difference between unsaved Jews and Christians. And he's not. He's talking about Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, both of which think that they are better than the other. He's writing to people who are believers in Jesus to help them get along, to promote a racial reconciliation. So the Apostle Paul, he's in his third missionary journey. He's staying in Corinth, and it's around 55 AD. And he writes the letter to the church in Rome, and his primary purpose is, is to bring racial reconciliation to the Christians there. And this is why Romans is, is such a timely book for us to talk about. I, I wrestle with often about whether or not we should do a, a sermon series through it because it would be long 
and it would be intense, but it would be so good because we also struggle with races, different races of Christians coming together. The most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And it's because white Christians and non-white Christians just really don't very often worship together. I love it when there are people of color that are, that, that are here for church, that become part of our church. But the reality is that this is uncommon. Most of the time, people segregate for worship. And I think that's a tragedy. Now, I want to move into the actual book of Romans. And if you're, if you're going to make a thesis statement for the book of Romans, if you're going to try to pack it all into one sentence, then it would be something like this. The gospel reveals God's righteousness. Now, we're going to be talking a bit more about what that means as we go, but it's important to say right here at the beginning because it helps us to understand something important. One of the mistakes we can make as we read the book of Romans is we can think that the book is about us, and it's not. This is not a book about you and me. If you notice the thesis statement, we don't show up at all. The gospel reveals God's righteousness. This is a book about him and what he has done. It's certainly full of how it affects you and I and how you and I should respond to it. But this is not a a manual of how to be saved. It is a book about what God has done, what his righteousness is. It's, It's about what a righteous God is doing in the face of sin and a fallen creation. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about Each of the first eight chapters in Romans, we're going to break it down into sections. And like I said, we're going to get as far as we can today. Um, Now, just know that I absolutely cannot talk about all the things. There is so much that I want to talk about, but I can't here in this brief format. And so this is not going to be exhaustive. Um, But again, if you've got pieces that you'd like to hear about that we don't talk about or don't talk about enough, please send in questions. We did do a YouTube Sunday school at the beginning of the pandemic, which I hesitate to remind you of because it was kind of awful. Um, Not only was it our first experience with recording and editing, but Pastor Ben and I, well, we just weren't doing very well. (coughs) We weren't doing very well, um, as all of us weren't at the beginning of the pandemic. The material is good, so if you can just overlook the terrible filming the sound and the editing and the haunted and sad looks on Ben's and my faces, then feel free to check it out. It's on my YouTube channel on clayton.tinnervin at gmail.com. But if I'm skipping over something, it's not because I'm avoiding it or because I'm hiding something. I'm just crunched for time. Now, one last thing. There's one more thing that we need to get into or we need to talk about before we jump into the text. I want to talk about something that comes up in Romans that we just, we can't ignore, or a few things that come up in Romans that we can't ignore. The first is wrath. Romans talks a lot about God's wrath. This gospel is the gospel of Jesus. It's God's saving power. But one of the things it also does is it names the judge, and that judge is Jesus. The same gospel that promises resurrection names the judge, and that judge is Jesus. Between the resurrection and the final judgment, 
What we learn is that the world lives before the unveiled gaze of the judge. We see who Jesus is, but we also find out that he is the judge. And I'm saying that over and over again because it is so important. Now, I know that wrath is hard for us. And it's good that wrath is hard for us because we're pretty compassionate people. And we don't want to see God's wrath poured out on anyone. But I think that a reason we wrestle with God's wrath is because most of us don't really encounter evil in our lives. If you've been paying attention to the news, certainly what happened this October 7th in 2023 um, was a, a picture of what evil looks like in our world. It is real and it is present. But we, we, you and I, I imagine or I hope, don't often come face to face with it. And so wrestling with wrath, the wrath of God, is pretty recent in the church's history. The ancient church didn't really have a problem with it. And I think the reason for that is because the world is just a lot safer than it used to be. If you were someone, though, who lived through real evil, understanding that God needs to be, have wrath in order to be righteous, I think becomes easier. God loves his creation, and because he loves it, he opposes anything that harms it. And the hardest part of this is realizing that we, ordinary people, until we repent and we take him as our Lord and Savior, then we're part of the force that harms creation. And so we're under his wrath until we're saved. You can think of it this way. Wrath is the divine no that God says to evil. And then one more, one more thing. So that's, that's wrath, this, this part of Romans that we're going to see poured out. And we, we just have to sit with it. But also, you're going to see the word law all over the book of Romans. In Romans, the word law means the Torah. It's referring to the Old Testament. I'm not sure offhand that that's the case every single time that it's used, but I believe that it is. It's easy to think about when we hear law that, that Paul's talking about some sort of law of the universe, right? But, but it's not. Paul is talking about the Old Testament. Because remember, the primary reason for Paul to write this letter was because of the tensions between Jewish and Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians kept the Torah, the Old Testament laws and codes. And one of the recurring themes through all of Paul's letters is that you don't have to do that in order to be a Christian. The Torah couldn't save you. And, and while it was very important, it does not make you more a member of God's family. So there are five sections of the book of Romans. First, uh, there's the introduction, and, and that's about 17 verses in chapter 1, right? And so after that, the, the next section goes through the end of chapter 4, and that focuses on God's righteousness, and it shows that, that neither the Jewish nor the Gentile Christians are superior to one another. And so I think those are the only two sections we're going to get through today. So let's talk about the introduction. Paul starts the letter with a greeting, as he always does. And then he tells his audience that he's wanting to visit them soon. And I, I think that's important because Paul, he does this. He's, he's willing to apply a little bit of pressure to the Christians in the churches that he's writing letters to. He, he, he wants them both to know that he has affection for them. And now that Jews are welcome back in Rome, he, he wants to come. But also that they need to get their act together because 
nobody wants to have their church be in disarray when the Apostle Paul shows up for a visit. So he says, yeah, I'm writing you this letter, but you need to figure it out because I'm coming and you don't want to be in the midst of this nonsense when I get there. And he mentions Gentiles and Greeks or, 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 and, or Jews right several times at the beginning. He's making it clear that he has both Jewish and Gentile Christians in mind and issues in mind as he writes. And then he gets to verses 16 and 17, which are the thesis statement for the book um, if, as Paul writes it. And so I'm going to go ahead and read them. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now in the next section, uh, which goes through the, the end of chapter 4. Paul shows us over and over that the Jewish and Gentile Christians are equally guilty of sin and equally saved by Jesus. So in, in the rest of chapter 1, Paul sort of retells the story of the fall. Um, he, he talks about humanity turning away from God and being given over to sin. And it kind of builds up to verse 32, which sort of describes the worst kind of idolatry or wickedness. Which is when a person, when you look at something that's evil and you call it good. Or when you look at something good and you call it evil. When you've gotten to that place, you are truly twisted up in knots. You are truly lost. And then in chapter 2, he tells us that this is exactly what the Jewish and Gentile Christians have been doing. They're looking at the other group, their brothers or sisters in Christ, and they're seeing them as enemies. And he goes on to say that the Torah, it doesn't make the Jewish Christians superior. First of all, the Torah proves a person to be guilty of sin because no one can fulfill it. But that doesn't get the Gentile Christians off the hook because they have the requirements of the Torah written on their hearts. And so what's happening here is Paul is addressing both groups and making sure that they know they are both equally guilty, both equally wrong for the way they've treated each other and also as they try to relate to God. Now, the problem is the Jewish Christians, they, they saw themselves as God's chosen people. And, and Paul talks about that here. And what he says is, yes, and all that does is it convicts you of sin. And then in, in chapter 3, verse 21, he makes this turn. And he says that it's not having the Torah or not that decides whether you're God's people. That was the case in the past. It is not the case any longer. It's faith in Jesus that tells us who God's people are. And he talks about being justified by the blood of Jesus and not by works. Now, works are another thing that we need to talk about because we can misunderstand what Paul is saying here if we're not careful. So, part of being a Jew meant that it meant doing works of the Torah. This meant getting circumcised, for one, but also reading and memorizing scripture, going to temple, prayer, sacrifice, all of it. And so when Paul talks about works in Romans, he's not talking about trying to earn your salvation with good deeds. Although it's also true that you can't do that. 
But what he's talking about are works of the Torah, the practices of Jewish Jewish people and Jewish Christians. Now, we don't become members of the covenant and stay that way because of works of the Torah. We are brought in and we are justified or declared righteous. And so we are we're given a new status uh, where we're not declared guilty, but we're, we're declared to be in a right relationship with, with Jesus and forgiven for our sins. And that happens not because we did works of the Torah, but because we've accepted him. It happens by faith. And it's this, this faith and the justification that comes from it that makes us one of God's people. And to prove his point in chapter 4, Paul uses Abraham as an example. Now, no one doubts that Abraham is part of the covenant. No one doubts that at all. But Abraham's status as righteous or justified before God, it's not because of his works of the Torah. It can't be because he was called righteous before he was circumcised. He was called righteous because of his faith. It happened first. It happened before the works of the Torah. And so it's by faith that we can be one of God's people. And that's true of Jewish and Gentile alike. We become Christians by faith, not by works of the Torah. Both groups are equally God's people, not because of what they've done, but because of their faith in Jesus and because of what he has done. And I think we're going to stop here. Originally, I was thinking maybe we'd, we'd talk through chapter 8, but you've got to be sick of my voice by now. And hopefully, um, we've talked about enough things that as you read Romans this week, you'll be able to perhaps see some of it in a different light than you have before. Um, it's such an important and good book, and it is the clearest expression of the gospel that Paul gives. But we misunderstand so much. And so as, as you read, um, read the word works differently. Read it Jewish versus Greek or Jewish versus Gentile differently. Understand, sit with what Paul talks about with wrath. Just all of it. I, I hope that you'll you'll sit through and you'll keep the context in mind and let the book of Romans speak to you and inform you because it truly is amazing. And so I think we're going to end there. And so this is Ben, Ben and Clayton, Eat the Bible. Stay hungry, my friends. Ben and Clayton Eat the Bible is a podcast ministry of Calvary Community Church. All contents are under copyright. Our theme music is by Alex Productions. Any thoughts and opinions are solely mine and Clayton's.